Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Flipside podcast. My name is Omana Deuce McDermott, and today we have a wonderful guest with us, um, Molly Weber. She is my fellow classmate. My um, She is a world traveler, and she is just an all-around great human being, and I'm really <laughs> excited to have this discussion with her today. Molly, you want to say hi? Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here on the Flipside podcast today. Looking forward to diving into emergent strategy. Awesome. Here we go. So Molly and I recently read this book called Emergent Strategy, um, Shaping Change, Changing Worlds. So today we're just going to be discussing the book, some of the themes within it, and the parts of the book that we each felt connected to. So Emergent Strategy is a book written by Adrienne Marie Brown, and Adrienne describes herself as a queer Black woman that is many things, and among them is healer, activist, doula, and writer. She wrote Emergent Strategy to be a radical self-help, society help, and planet help book designed to help us all learn to shape the future that we want to live in. Um, so starting off, I'm just going to read a little excerpt from the book about what emergent strategy is and what Adrian's vision was when um, writing this book. Okay, so she says, but what exactly is emergent strategy? It was initially a way of describing the adaptive and relation relational leadership model found in the work of black science fiction writer, Octavia Butler. Then it grew into plans of action, personal practices, and collective organizing tools that account for constant change and rely on the strength of relationship for adaptation with a crush on biomimicry and permaculture. And biomimicry is said to be the imitation of the model, system, and elements of nature for the purpose of solving complex human problems. Um, so, the book evolved into strategies for organizers building movements for justice and liberation that leverage relatively simple interactions to create complex patterns, systems, and transformations, including adaptation, interdependence, and decentralization, fractal awareness, resilience, and transformative justice, nonlinear and iterative change, creating more possibilities. Adrian continues to say, and now it's like ways for humans to practice being in right, in right relationship to our home and to each other to practice complexity and grow a compelling future together through relatively simple interactions. Emergent strategy is how we intentionally change in ways that grow our capacity to embody the just and liberated words we long for. And maybe if I'm honest, it's a philosophy for how to be in harmony and love in, the, in and with the world. All right, so that's a lot to unpack and we're just gonna get into it. So emergence as defined in the book um, Adrian had borrowed this definition. Um, it says, the way complex systems and patterns arise out of a multiplicity of relatively simple interactions. And throughout the book, um, Brown applies this to creating strategies that can effectively bring about social change for social justice. And Adrian refers a lot to people in her life that she's been influenced by, um, most notably two people, that's Grace Lee Boggs, who was um, an author, a social activist, philosopher, and feminist whom Adrian had many conversations with, with um, and was connected to. And Octavia Butler was an author that Adrian grew 
up reading all her books and is heavily influenced by the material that she read. Um, so I had recently just said, talked about biomimicry and gave the definition for that, which is the practice that learns from and mimics strategies found in nature to solve human design challenges. So Molly, I wanted to ask you if you had heard about that term before reading this book and like, what do you think of the term and how we could apply to the systems we currently exist in? Yeah, um, so i familiar with biomimicry before reading Emergent Strategy, but never, um, never in such a practical way, I don't think. Like, i never seen it in this context of, like, using it as a tool. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I do think that I just personally personally notice patterns in nature and like with my own in my own personal life use things in nature to kind of understand whatever I'm going through um but applying it to our work as um in public health or as change makers I have not made so much so that was really interesting for me um and I do think I mean just looking I'm sure we'll talk more about this later but the way that Adrian's whole thing is scaling up I mean I think that if you start like with the way I've used it personally um like to handle like a personal challenge if you skip scale that up it can fit into a as well which I think is what she's saying mm-hmm. yeah I had never heard of that term before and like I just found it fascinating and I'm really stuck on it because I've never thought of looking to like the natural processes of the earth and like the patterns that exist to solve like our human problems um, but like it said in the book biomimicry is an ancient practice that's been used for um, years and years and years and I just think that was so interesting how I'd never heard about it before but like the earth is like the longest sustainable living thing or practice that's existed and if you think about it we should be taking um, like a direct look at how the earth has sustained itself and then applying those approaches to like us humans and how we can coexist with the planet and solve the societal changes or challenges that we're dealing with um so thanks for that and for giving um your thoughts on that so adrian had introduced the core principles that have emerged in her study and practice of emergent strategy um and i'm just going to list off what those are those principles are and i would love to hear what your thoughts were on some of them and if you feel like felt like you resonate especially with one or two or more um, so the elements she talked about was said small is good, small is all. The large is a reflection of the small. Change is constant. Be like water. There is a conversation in the room that only the people at this moment can, ha can have. Find it. Never a failure, always a lesson. Trust the people. If you trust people, they become trustworthy. Move at the speed of trust. Focus on critical connections more than critical mass. Build the resilience by building relationships. Less prep, more presence. 
and what you pay attention to grows. Um, so did any of those elements stick out to you as you were reading them or as you were going through the book? Um, yeah, I, the second one really stands out to me. Um, change is constant, be like water. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I tend to look to nature um, for like dealing with my own personal things. Um, and the ocean has been a constant and big symbol in my life. So I really resonated with that. Um, be like water and also what you pay attention to grows. I think that, um, you know, intentionality and, um, yeah, just the energy and things becomes, it grows. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Both of the ones that you just said, I definitely resonate with, like, change is constant, be like water, like the state of the planet, I feel like is always changing. Like us as humans, we're always changing and evolving. Um, like you make a plan and it doesn't necessarily like that plan doesn't fall through as you think it would, but you're going to have to like find a way to deal with that. So, and water is something that's so malleable. It can take so many shapes, um, like can be frozen, can be liquid, can move to fit whatever mold it's in. And I just think that's really cool. And it, to me, that just means like be adaptable in whatever um, situations occur. And I think that's something really important to keep in mind as we navigate how to solve challenges um, and work with one another. And then what you pay attention to grows. I definitely agree that intentionality matters and what you put your focus on, whether you're focusing on abundance or you're focusing on lack, um, the more you pay attention to something, the more it grows. So just be mindful of that. And also never a failure, always a lesson is one I had really liked as one of the um, elements of emergence because I think that we can stand to learn something from each situation. Um, and it's only truly a failure if you don't learn anything, in my opinion. So everything experience can be a lesson for what to do and for what not to do. Um, even as we go about our practice of being public health professionals, it's like if we do an intervention that doesn't work, we got to learn from our mistakes and see what didn't work and how we can go about like in the future making a change um, so that better outcomes can occur. Definitely. I really like that one too. Yeah. Um, so most of the book, Adrian explains what she believes. Oh, I'm sorry. Before we were talking about the principles, so the ones we just talked about were the principles of um, the core principles of emergence. So throughout the rest of the book, Adrian talks about what she believes are the elements that make up emergence. And these elements are fractal, which is the relationship between small and large, adaptive, how we change, interdependence and decentralization, who we are and how we share, nonlinear and iterative. I don't know if I'm <laughs> iterative Long. yeah okay non-linear and iterative the pace and pathways of change resilience and transformative justice which is how we recover and transform um creating more possibilities how we move towards life um so going through these elements in the book i'm going to pull some quotes 
from the elements she listed, like in the sections, and asked what some of her thoughts were on them. Um, the first one um, I'm going to quote is something that Grace Lee Boggs had said, and it goes in the book, Adrian said, Grace often said that every crisis is an opportunity, which is amazing theoretically and requires great emotional fortitude and practice, as well as a maturity to understand that the negative realization of that theory is disaster capitalism. I had thought when I read that in the book, that was really interesting because we had talked about disaster capitalism in class. Um, and this book also referenced the shock doctrine, which Shailene had talked about. And I thought that was really great. Um, so with this quote, it's saying that crisis is an opportunity um, and like that can be an opportunity to like go about and help people and create like a better system than whatever existed to better help people in the future. Um, so it's saying like theoretically like crisis is an opportunity and that's great, but you also need to have um, the emotional intelligence, I guess, and the maturity to understand the negative realization of that theory and that is disaster capitalism. So in class we had talked about how like large corporations see disasters as an opportunity to further their agenda and just capitalize on that, on people's suffering. And I just thought that was interesting how that was referenced in the book. And I wanted to see if you had picked up on that or if you had anything to say about that. Yeah, um, I also made that to Shalene's lecture that she gave in class um, in it. Something that really stood out to me is generative conflict. Um, it's not a term I'd, I'd heard before, um, but I think it just brings up, again, like the need for inten intentionality in everything we do. Like when we're going in, like when we're looking at a crisis um, and trying to solve the problem, um, I think just like thinking about way in advance, like what the actual end goal is and who that goal serves, mm -hmm. um, is super important to make sure that like the intention up with, with the outcomes that we work towards achieving, um, because otherwise it's so easy to have generally good intentions and do not so good things um, mm -hmm. in the context. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just going from like anti-politics machine, I think the intentions were there mm -hmm. to help the people in Lesotho, but the outcome wasn't so great and I feel like that's with so many like international development interventions um people come from a different place a different background and go into these communities with the intention of like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna do good I'm gonna help out but don't really have like the context to be able to help those people out in the way that they need um mm -hmm. so I think just like educating yourself and like having not just like reading about things, but like having like experiences um, about what needs to be done and like the necessary work that needs to be done to help out 
as a community or go about creating a certain type of change is important. Yeah, um, and that brings me back to her two of her core principles, um, move at the speed of trust and less prep, more presence. And something I've been thinking about a lot, maybe not as a critique, but as a question in relation to everything we've been talking about in class, it's just like the matter of time. Um, I'm just emergent strategy to something like the town hall we had because it just seems like it requires so so much time and in the capitalist system we have we work in there just isn't time um or time is much shorter so like can emergent strategy happen on like on the time jobs that you know, we might take if we're working for any of the organizations that were present at that, like the Gates Foundation or USAID, like what would these strategies look like in that context? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like you asked that question and or like, like in these capitalist systems that we exist in, like to me, I feel like everything that we have, like everything that is like set in stone or whatever or just like we create these systems ourselves and I to me it seems like so simple in my head to be like oh like we created this like I feel like we can still just easily like make a group decision to like undo it but I guess it's not that simple so and then I get frustrated but I'm like we're literally doing this to ourselves if we wanted to make this stop we easily could but yeah same (laughs) but it's just such a massive it's just let the world be <laughs> um so mm-hmm. one question I asked myself was like if emergent strategy was the way we all decided we wanted to go would mm-hmm. emergent strategy like would people wor- working and living and knowing in this paradigm would that like run parallel to capitalism until eventually it became the norm or like does there need to be some you know like where does the power shift happen there and what does that look like Mm -hmm. if we were to decide to just completely switch the way we do things yeah definitely and I feel like I touch on that a little bit um at one of my later quotes I'm going to refer back to um I, let's see. Okay, so the quote, hold on, let me read it for you real quick. It's about like capitalism Mm -hmm. and it says, systems built on greed eventually collapse on themselves, topple under their own top heavy weight. The earth is layer upon layer of all that has existed. It is time to turn capitalism into a fossil, time to turn the soil, time to turn the horizon together. And I feel like basically what Adrian is saying in this book that capitalism can no longer like I don't think it can run parallel with emergence and like emergent strategy because capitalism like to me is like an unsustainable practice and Mm -hmm. it's just based on like competitive growth and like fetishization fetishization I can't speak right now fetishizing like 
competitiveness and like you need to work more to have more um to be seen as like success and and like that's just like depleting the earth's resources at like an unsustainable rate and like through this quote adrian is basically saying that like capitalism needs to be turned into a fossil just like as um different systems throughout history have collapsed based on yeah i guess greed and yeah, we just need to put it behind us, but I don't know like when that's going to happen, how that's going to happen, but it just seems like at the rate we're going, like that is bound to happen, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know if like in our lifetime, like a hundred mm -hmm. years from now, but it just doesn't seem like we can keep going the way that we are because people are just going to be burnt out and the planet is just no longer going to be suitable for us. Yeah. Um. All right, moving ahead. Um, so in the element of resilience and transformative justice, um, there's a quote that I wanted to go back to. Adrian states, um, we call it transformative justice when we're throwing knives and insults, exposing each other's worst mistakes, reducing each other to moments of failure. Um, we call it holding each other accountable. And then it continues to say, find the page number real quick. And then she writes a post. She lists here a post that she had um, reposted from someone's account. And it says, I'm feeling really tired of the call out culture on social media, especially within queer trans people of color communities. We need to center and build relationships with one another and not keep tearing one another down publicly without trying to have direct conversations. While there are many places of learning, growth, and contradictory practice within the world we live in, why can't we talk to one another directly and allow room for learning from our mistakes or differences? By making these public attacks on each other, we're engaging in the same disposability pol politics of capitalism and the prison industrial complex that we purport to be against, while feeding into state surveillance tactics that are monitoring how we are tearing each other down. Enough is enough, y'all. We need each other now more than ever. So I thought this was really interesting because it was alluding to cancel culture and how that's such like a, a prevalent thing that's been going on. I don't know if it's just been within the past year or before that, but um, I feel like someone says something wrong or does something wrong. Um, like social media, like doesn't really give people the chance to like learn from their mistakes. It's just everyone's automatically just like banished. And then I think back to like how I'm sure in my life and like many people like I know who have said or done things that like if it was broadcasted to the media, like we would all be immediately canceled. So at what point are we allowing each other to just grow instead of like putting each other in these boxes? And this um, in this post, it said that by making these public attacks on each other, we are engaging in the same disposability politics of capitalism and the prison industrial complex that we purport to be against. And to me, that was interesting because I never looked at it that way of like cancel culture that way. But if like you see someone is problematic or they said something problematic, you automatically just dispose of them and don't give them a chance. And like, that's basically how our prison systems exist now. It's just we, like, it hides like homelessness and like mental illness. And we just put these people away and don't really give them a second thought. Um, and 
if we're saying like, it's kind of backwards for me to say like, oh, I'm against the prison industrial complex. But then again, if someone says one thing wrong, I'm going to hold that over them for the rest of their life and make sure they can't like grow from that or learn from that experience. So I was curious to see what you thought of that. Yeah. Um, I really agree. Something that I was thinking about was like the phrase calling people in instead of calling people out. Mm-hmm. So instead of, you know, instead of canceling someone or being angry and like, you know, shaming them, calling them into the conversation and like making it a conversation and trying to learn together and like share what you know, instead of because if the ideology or the thought that was shared is the problem, it's not going to go away by just, you know, shunning that person, like you said. So calling people in to have them like join you or try to like teach them, I think is much more productive. Um, yeah, I love that. I haven't heard that phrase before, I don't think, but really, we, not, yeah, I love that. I heard it um, during Peace Corps. We had mm-hmm. a very, um, outspoken cohort and so we all like had to actively try to call in not call out Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so it became very ingrained in my my vocab around this kind of thing I love that I hope you continue to spread that around to other people I feel like I'm going to keep saying that now to people sure yeah hey hey we're not calling each other out let's call each other in let's learn Mm -hmm. from each other Great. Um, okay. And then this is hopefully my last long quote I'm going to say, but um, mm-hmm. I love that in the book, Adrian had made um, a reference to like New Orleans and she talked about Hurricane Katrina and she inserted a passage from Name of Peniman and it said, when Hurricane Katrina slammed into the Gulf Coast, almost everything lost its footing. Houses were detached from their foundations, trees and shrubbery were uprooted signposts and vehicles floated down the rivers that became the streets. But amidst the whipping winds and surging water, the oak tree held its ground. How? Instead of digging its roots deep and solitary into the earth, the oak tree grows its roots wide and interlocks with other oak trees in the surrounding area. And you can't bring down a hundred oak trees bound beneath the soil. How do you survive the unnatural disasters of climate change, environmental injustice, over-policing, mass imprisonment, militarization, economic inequality, corporate globalization, and displacement. We must connect in the underground, my people. In this way, we shall survive. So I wanted to ask you, like, to me, that was just so profound. And I just, like, love so much in this book how everything just keeps being alluded back to nature. Mm -hmm. Um, And talking about, like, how the oak trees are able to, like, weather these disasters and storms by being, like, so deeply connected with each other, like, at their core, like at their roots and together, like they stand strong against whatever comes. And we really need to make an effort to do that, like as a human race in our communities. Um, And I think that's just something that's really been lacking. I mean, just from this past year, we can see how glaring or like 2020 and like this past year, just like with all the unrest that keeps happening um, and just these issues that are just like at the forefront and it's like how do we how do we 
like bind our roots together in underground like as humans to be able to like survive all these problems and disasters we're currently facing do you have any <laughs> suggestions on how to do that or and what you can share what you thought about um that passage as well um suggestions I don't know but <laughs> <laughs> that passage also really stood out to me um for mainly because I just recently listened to a podcast um the daily and it was the title was writing the historical wrong of the Claiborne highway Mm -hmm. um and it's talking about basically this development project that Mm -hmm. destroyed the um oldest historically black neighborhood in New Orleans um Treme by putting taking down the oak trees and putting up um the interstate so what stood out to me is like these oak trees withstood Hurricane Katrina this like disaster this natural disaster they're like one of the only things that you know stayed rooted and then Mm -hmm. a development project is what ultimately took them down and like so I just think the symbolism there is really strong um and speaks to you know the environmental injustice and like corporate corporate pathway to development um that we're trying to undo with emergent strategy Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I had listened to that episode as well in the daily and I didn't like I hadn't connected that with the um I had listened to that episode before I read this book but I didn't even connect that with the oak trees and how they took it down but yeah you're so right and I feel like I just got chills from that because like that's such isn't that so sad and symbolism yeah it was it was so sad um but yeah I feel like that's what we keep doing the planet it's just like we are like going against what the natural forces have for us and I think I don't remember the exact page that this said this but it was talking about how like in western society we kind of go against like emergent strategy like everything that we do with like capitalism it's like going against like how to live in harmony with the planet because we just again keep extracting and using up and just trying to make some money mm-hmm. which is really sad um yeah and the last the final quote i have for you here is in the book it said I learned in school to deconstruct, but how do we learn to move beyond our beautiful deconstruction? Who teaches us to reconstruct? And that was really important because I feel like, yeah, in my schooling, we do learn um, like, well, actually, I don't know. I guess I can't even say that. Like growing up, um, like where I did, I feel like I didn't really learn about how to deconstruct systems and I, I'm still, I mean, I've been in school for my, I'm in my second year now. And I feel like I don't know if we've adequately really learned how to like deconstruct these systems. But the quote says, I learned in school to deconstruct, but how do we learn to move beyond our beautiful deconstruction? Who teaches us to reconstruct? So I guess maybe in deconstructing, they're talking about like how to um, like tear apart 
like the lived environment maybe that's what they meant or like like deconstructing like our planet but how do we learn um to move beyond our beautiful deconstruction who teaches us to reconstruct and yep. i don't i don't know i'm trying to figure that out are we are we the teachers <laughs> i mean adrian i would say is definitely one of my teachers now on how to um reconstruct and build up or just go back to the simple processes of looking at nature and like the very basic things that exist and like the small parts to be able to um make up like the larger complex systems yeah um definitely and i think that can speak to like the deconstruction can speak to a lot of things whether it be like in class i feel like we've kind of been deconstructing and problematizing all of these different development concepts development Mm -hmm. concepts um so yeah and now I feel like we are kind of at that point where it's like okay where do we go from here and where what do I want my work to look like um what role am I playing in all of this and how can I know what I know and you know do it better or start to do it better um and I think I know you work at the Taylor Center I think that like this is a lot of the complexity thinking social innovation paradigms Mm -hmm. are strategies at reconstructing like the way we do things and Uh moving forward in a better way. Yeah, absolutely. And you had just mentioned how um, you had said, oh shoot, what did you just say? But, hold on, I'm drawing a blank here, but it just made me think about like, like how do I know what I need to know, but also like acknowledging, I think it's important to acknowledge that like there's so much that you don't know and I think Mm -hmm. sometimes people have a hard time with that they think that they know all they need to know and like I think sometimes people get triggered like being told that like oh like what you thought you knew that's like not really how it is and I feel like that can be triggering for people but being able to say like oh there's a lot I don't know and maybe how I've been going about doing things is not necessarily the right way and like I need to change that I need to acknowledge that I think that's also really important um yeah and she talks about that in the end of the book um in one of her tools she talks about I think um like how we become more set in our ways as we get older and we kind of like cling to the things that we think we know Mm -hmm. um so just you know I think the more you learn the more humble it should make you not Mm -hmm. like the more you know not like solidify you know kind of like the more the more I see the less I know type of type of ideal like to stay keeping humility and Mm -hmm. knowing that things change all the time yeah absolutely I feel like the older I get the less I feel like I know. And I think that's a good thing. Um, I feel like when I was 17, I thought I knew exactly how the world worked. And then now 
almost 10 years later, I'm like, oh, honey, you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's important to keep your mind open and always be willing to like have people tell you new information. And I like, I tell myself this constantly is that like, as I get older, I, I really don't want to become like stuck in my ways of thinking that like a certain way is the only way to do something. Cause I feel like I know, I definitely noticed that in like older generations and like even my, my family and my relatives. Um, and I'm just hoping that I will always remain open-minded <clears throat> um, to everything, everyone, whatever's going on around me. Um, yeah. So do you have, I'm going to wrap up here soon, but do you have any last things that you want to say, or do you feel like there's any important, other important connections you made from this book and our class that you'd like to touch on before we wrap up or any final thoughts? I don't think so. Um, I'm wondering what, like what this book did for you in terms of, you know, either wrapping up our class or, you know, moving forward. Do you think it will, it will, how will your practice in work or, you know, just your daily life? Will you make changes? Do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Um, I feel like this book for me was definitely a tool that I'm just like gonna keep referring back to as like I go on about my life and like just like my life, my regular everyday life, my personal life, my professional life. Um, and I think it's just like keeping me, like helping to restore my hope, I guess. Um, like Adrian, I'd say, I think she seems like hopeful and I think like I'm a, naively positive and hopeful person and like as much as public health can be like devastating sometimes I think it's important to be able to like create like have a strong vision of what I want for the future and like what I want the planet to be what I want for the future generations and I think it's so easy to get caught up in the negative and think that things will never change things won't be the same and I think for like a thought to become an action like you need to ideate first and like even imagine something I don't know I keep thinking about how like however many years ago like cell phones or the internet didn't exist but someone had to have that vision and whereas like 40 50 60 however many years ago nobody nobody thought you'd be walking around with this little block in your hand where you had like access to the entire world or talk on the phone to someone from across the world or have like a smart phone on your watch or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So like someone had to dream that up to make it a reality. And I'm sure there was many skeptics around them at the time, but I think if you keep strong with your vision um, and just stay positive and stay intentional and like build connections with those around you, like have empathy, I think it is possible to, um, like change our world for the better. So I feel like that's what that book reminded me is to just be hopeful and that like change is possible and just to hold on to that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, How about you? For me, I think, um, I really appreciated, I think I tend to keep like, life a little bit in boxes and I think she kind of 
like personal, professional, spiritual, everything, like, especially, you know, in personal or academic, I mean, professional or academic life, I like separate my personal life mm-hmm. or, but I think that her, Adrian bringing in spirituality and making this practice very personal kind of reminded me that you, you can't like if for radical change to happen, you have to keep your values in it. And that's very personal. Um, so I think that that was kind of a refresher for me that, that, yeah, that this, a lot of the work and the changes we want to see are like we may be doing them at our jobs, but they're also very personal. So to like keep keep the people, keep peopling the systems that we're working to change, I think um, was my biggest takeaway. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I totally resonate with that too. I feel like that's why, um, like one of the reasons I was so into this book is because she brings like so much of like her personal self into it. Like mm-hmm. I am like a very spiritual person I would say and like the fact that she was like talking about that and I feel like something I always I have been thinking about a lot in the last like couple of months or so is like how do I incorporate like my spiritual beliefs about like the planet and people and like our interconnectedness like into public health and I feel like she shows me like practically how to do that and I thought that was really cool um so I totally agree I think if we can stand to make any change we're gonna have to like include our personal self into it Mm -hmm. and yeah everything's connected (laughs) everything is everything (laughs) yeah all right well thank you so much molly for having this conversation i love this i love that i had the opportunity to like talk through this book with somebody because i loved it so much so i just want to like be able to share that with other people and I'm so happy that you read it too and we could talk about it. Yeah, me too. Thanks for interviewing me. This like really helped me to digest it as well. Good. I'm glad. Well, we'll be happy to have you as a guest again anytime. <laughs> we hope you'll come back soon and give us a visit. Um, of course. <laughs> join us from wherever in the world you are and share your experiences. Okay. Okay. All right. Bye, Molly. Bye, Omana. Thank you.